Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So, Let's be friends. The title of today's show is, Oh No, They All Missed the Apex. That provided by Darren Johnston on Twitter. Michael Albon is a runner-up and said, Your guest steward today is Oprah. And Tim W. suggested that the show title should be Race Deleted. Welcome to our review of the Austrian Grand Prix. We're recording this on the Sunday, 2nd of July, 8pm UK time, after the race ready for your Monday morning commute, as we always do, but we still don't really know the result. Provisionally, Verstappen won ahead of Leclerc and Sainz, but there are now 1,200 incidents of track limits violations still to be reviewed by the stewards. So the winner could be literally anyone. Now, the result won't change the review itself. We'll still talk about the farce that has unfolded since the end of the race, the performance of the teams and drivers, and all the things that caught our eye in what was otherwise a mighty fine Formula One race. And then at some point, someone will come along with a Tipex pen and amend the final result. Oh, Formula One, how did you get here? Thanks for listening to us. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined by a young man set to take the commentary scene by storm. It's Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? 
Hey, Spanners, I'm battered and I'm bruised after yesterday's karting event, my first time karting in four years, and my body's not quite used to it, but it is worth the pain for the sweet taste of champagne that I didn't get for winning the C final. No, you won the rubbish people's final. Exactly. Uh, I, was, I was the best of the bad people. People ask me how I was after the missed apex karting, and I say, well, apart from my broken and battered body and soul, I'm, I'm generally fine. We're also joined by a young man on the wrong side of the world from Australia land. It's Jono, Jonathan Simon. How's it going, Jono? Yeah, good, mate. It uh, had to flip me, I think. I was upside down, and now I'm back upright. But uh, I heard Chris... Well, so did Chris win the... the, the- the C final, but he had the best cart, or or is that is that not correct? There, I'm I'm need to clarify the information on that. So what Look, we did there is, was a debate yeah. about which one was best. <laughs> Who's to say? Really, there is a rubbish people final, and Chris won it. But. Look, no, you can't deny that you won a race car race, Chris, and it's all about having fun, but it's more fun if you win. And I always win when I have a panel as glorious as this, and we can round it off with TikTok sensation Antonio Rankin. Hello, Antonio. Hi. Yeah, I'm neither battered nor bruised, so I don't get any street cred for that, but I have to say my soul is rather battered by the sheer number of nearly penalties that were awarded today. We could be faced with over a thousand penalties, and I bet you Verstappen doesn't get any. (laughs) There were a few comments about that. Someone was saying, oh, the FIA was so nice about the penalties that they even let some people off. (laughs) Okay, yeah, and this is it. Right, let's get straight to this. Uh, And what do we say in TikTok land, Antonia? There was a lot of penalties today. Let's talk about it. That's the new thing to say. I'm, all, I'm on top of it. it. Let's look at that. Let's talk about it. Okay. So how did we get ourselves in this farcical position, Antonio? How do we get to the end of a race and the FIA are saying to us, there are 1,200 incidents for us to review. We'll be right back to you. Well, if you do the maths on a 70 lap race, that means a very, I mean, I can't do maths. So, you know, someone else will have to do this maths, but that's a pretty high number of people doing track limits almost every single lap which to me could have been foreseen given that we had 47 lap times deleted in qualifying on friday you know this wasn't something that it came out of the blue in not even the sprint race in the main race this weekend and we went oh why are cars going off track all of a sudden so i think this is something the fia could have seen coming and said to the stewards maybe someone have a look at the cars you know we'll dedicate somebody to just check but you know they've allowed it to build up over the course of a race and Everyone has said over the course of the season, we hate seeing penalties being awarded or given after the end of a race because it kind of is nasty to watch someone lose their position after they've celebrated it. So I think, to be honest, kind of just bad planning from the FIA. So this is all kicked off because Aston Martin have protested Lando Norris specifically after the race because uh, obviously Alonso was chasing Norris towards the end um, of the race. And they think he did a lot of track limits, you know, more than he was actually sort of credited for uh, by uh, by race control. And they feel like he should get a penalty for that so that Alonso can move up into uh, fifth place. That's why we've got the provisional result only uh, at the moment. But this is such a circuit specific issue and it's not a new thing. It happens every single time they go to the Red Bull ring. And I just feel like with all of the options and technologies we have in the world, there has surely got to be some kind of solution that we can put on there that makes track limits a a non-issue that doesn't wreck and destroy uh, cars. Because, of course, there was that 
perpendicular um, sausage curb trial they did that just wrecked and destroyed cars if they went anywhere near them. Yeah, I think you're really onto something there. I don't understand this type of track limits penalty because these drivers were not trying to leave the track in order to gain an advantage. This wasn't a case of they they went off so that they could get on the throttle extra early. They didn't deliberately run wide. This was, you know, it, this number of track limits violations is a genuine case of them accidentally running wide as a result of pushing quite hard. And I think measures could be put in place to make this self-policing, wherein the FIA don't need to get involved constantly. Hear me out. Gravel traps would be a great way of doing this. No. Drivers hate them. Cars hate them. Yeah, sorry. Drivers hate them. Cars hate them. You know, there are ways to make it self-policing or to dissuade drivers from taking it so quickly that they then, because it was turn nine yeah. where they all kept going off. You know, there are ways of dissuading the drivers from going that quickly and thereby reducing the number of people going off. But I, I don't see in any event why are we are penalising drivers for doing something that hasn't advantaged them in any way. So I'll just counter that slightly as the only not young, cool person on the panel, which is I, I do remember the days where there was more natural barriers to the track limits. Like uh, a lot of runoff is relatively new in F1 to have just loads of tracks with runoff. When there was gravel, we did miss out because you would get a driver stuck in the gravel, uh, gravel and that was it. You wouldn't see them again. Uh, and also, you know, there's a flip risk and it reduces people's willingness to go and go for an opp- overtaking opportunity. So if there's, if there's gravel, you won't risk it. Uh, you, you know, you look at Paul Ricard, there's no risk. That's probably too far the other way. But I, that reality, I think, is a, it might be a case of careful what you wish for. If they were to start surrounding Grand Prix tracks with gravel, you might find low fit finishes, a lot of DNFs. And people being less willing to attack, but I do, I do sympathise with. It can't carry on how it is. They are going to have to do something, Jonah. Twelve hundred laps reported doesn't mean they all cut the Incidents track. Reported, that's yeah. just what's being yeah exactly. That's just what's being investigated. So you look at that. I think fifty-seven were confirmed as having been track cuts, and that's where the likes of Lewis Hamilton and the other drivers received penalties. But we could get a result any moment now. Now, Spanners, I know a good solution that you like is yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. that, well, if they cut the track, maybe they drop a bit of horsepower like we've seen no in certain other racing categories. Yeah. yeah, no one agrees with me, but like there are, uh, I like Palmer Sport, for example, in, in Bedfordshire. If you go off track on that, like you, it can be electronically sensed. And it, I, I really, like, you know, my background is in electronics engineering. I really don't see an issue. I don't see why it would be difficult in the, you know, the Red Bull ring you have a particular problem corner, corner nine, and you, you put detectors in there to detect whether a car has gone o- off the track. And it would be unambiguous because it's just an electronic signal. Have they passed through a certain threshold? Go. And then to make that into a signal to say, right, put a little nail, unscrew itself underneath the throttle so you can't put the throttle all the way down for, for the straight. And it's not that hard. And, and you would get the best of all worlds. You wouldn't have to deal with a flip risk from from grass and gravel. You'd have safe runoff and it would be definitely a deterrent. So, yes, let's just do that. Okay, so it's a good idea when somebody's right behind another car that Mm. will suddenly slow without warning. Uh, no, it won't slow without warning because you'll see the car in front. And the thing is, you, you won't, it won't be like you're hitting the brakes. It's just that your accelerator won't quite work as well. This doesn't sound like a good idea, I have to say. Go on, go on, Antonia. Defend Chris. 
I'm, I don't think there's a lot to defend here and that that's quite a silly idea. So I'll, I'll allow your idea to stand in its own right to be ridiculed in, I'm sure, the comments in the Slack group. But uh, Okay, which which part of that? Because there's two parts. A is the detection, which I think is a no-brainer. Yes. So the second no, part is then how do you implement a pun? You could just go, okay, five-second penalty then, couldn't you? Well, that's the thing. The The good thing about the five-second penalty is it's consistent. It's the same for all drivers. It affects them all equally. You know, it is by definition completely the same for everyone. In theory, obviously, if it's been taken in a pit stop, you know, it screws with that a little bit. Anyway, I think detection is probably the way to go. I just don't think you can do anything other than a time penalty that proportionally affects every driver in the same way. You know, given that different cars have different strengths, you can't say, oh, well, we'll dock a horsepower or we'll disable your DRS for this straight. That would be really disproportionate. I just don't think that is the way forward at all. The, th- the time penalties are fine. It's just how often it can happen at this circuit because those two bits of track where we're talking about track limits all the time, they're just way too inviting and there's zero deterrent for a driver to, to not go and do it. And I kind of disagree with the idea that they're not doing it intentionally because if there was a barrier there, they wouldn't be ending up in the barrier every single lap. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we talk about Monaco and how they are so pre- millimeter perfect through you know a, a super high speed section of track lined by armco barriers if you've just put some sort of natural deterrent like a bit of grass creek or something like that then that is going to be enough to stop them from doing it and you can well, still you know punish track limits that way that that's the thing isn't it these drivers are able to drive within the lines because at a set like Jeddah or monaco they have to drive between the lines. You know, the the most obvious way to stop track limits violations would be not to approach turn nine so quickly so that you don't have to run wide, so that you have the time and the distance to turn. You know, the drivers are in theory capable of doing this. I agree. And them carrying too much speed into that corner is the problem. However, again, something needs to be done because we cannot be having 1,200 events under investigation it's ridiculous it, it completely opens up the farce of allowing them to race I, I think we're just forgetting a few things so like number one these guys are athletes they're competitors so you, you're not gonna they're not going to adhere to rules obviously they're always going to find an advantage that they can of course they're not deliberately running off the track you know they're doing it out of well we're trying to win you know what i mean you have to look at this from the athlete's perspective now, Grass Creek, I don't know, sometimes in certain racetracks, Grass Creek can be faster. Chris can also be right. In certain situations, it might not be faster. So it depends how you design it and how you build it. Um, in terms of I, I, the way I see this is fans don't want track limits not to be policed. I think what fans want is a better way for it to be policed. Because you have a situation like IndyCar back yeah. in 2019 where it was an absolute farce. It just looked ridiculous. Uh, Cars running yeah. off the track all over yeah, the place. Yeah. Exactly. And it looked absolutely ridiculous. And that was legal. And we don't want that situation. What's the solution? I think the best thing so far as Spanners is to reduce the horsepower. And it shouldn't be at a decreased rate where it's so dangerous. It should just be a little bit where it's about yeah. a couple Ks on the straight. And that can make the difference. Yep. All right. Thanks for backing me up. You're now my favorite one out of uh, out of the panel. Well done. No, you you're right. You can totally just be like a little bit, or you can you can penalize in whatever way you want. But electronically seems to be the best way to go because I I think the stewards have been caught with their pants down a little, and I know they work hard, but I just I think I have a theory on how we got into this position, Antonio. 
This is such, this might be a non-point, but it's a consideration at a circuit like the one we've just been at, downforce is considerably, considerably lower due to altitude, which means that handling around a corner is probably going to be not as good as at the exact same circuit, but not at 677 metres above sea level, which I'm not going to say it's a skill issue from the drivers, obviously. However, that is a consideration at a circuit where downforce is lower for track limits to be policed maybe slightly less because obviously on the corners, if you've got less downforce, it is going to be more difficult to corner accurately. Okay, so a little bit of uh, breaking news here. Medland, Chris Medland has come in with uh, some official news from the FIA. So there are penalties that have come out of this. A Carlos signs 10-second penalty. Hamilton, Gasly, Albon all get 10-second penalties. Ocon, <laughs> good job Matt's not here. 30 seconds worth of penalties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but amazingly, nothing for Norris. Yeah, Norris didn't get any. So Alonso didn't mm. even. I mean, they've they've all gained because Science has, yeah, went has down. Got Alonso so, gained a spot. But, so yeah, Sergeant so I, ten seconds, DeFries fifteen, and Sonoda five seconds. So Science uh, goes down to sixth. Norris goes up to fourth, and Alonso goes P five. So Aston Martin ultimately did gain from being the team that put forward this protest. But I I have a theory. I know the stewards are, are hardworking, but I think they went into this. A little half-assed. So they said, we are going to enforce the track limits. They did it in qualifying. It worked. During the race, I don't think they had a nominated person looking at, say, turn 10 to see if people were going over those track limits. And this is where my electronic solution comes in because you wouldn't need that. Here, they weren't doing that and they were responding to complaints. The first complaints we heard on the radio were Lando Norris against Lewis Hamilton Lewis Hamilton got the warnings and then he got the five-second penalty. I don't think it's a coincidence that the first penalty issued was against the first person that we heard a complaint against. And then the teams realised, oh, if we complain, that's going to generate more penalties. So they wanted to take a hard line. And what shows taking a hard line more than going, right, Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champ, fan favourite. But no, you know, there's no escaping this. We're being super strict. Boom. And then it just crescendoed, snowballed, got away from them to the point that teams went, hang on a minute, if you're going to throw those penalties around, we want to look at every single incident of of cars going. And someone did the maths on Twitter, there would have been 1,400 laps done by the drivers and then 1,200 incidents of, of track limits to be explored. So they went in there, I think, with the right attitude. Track limits should be insured. But the half-assed bit was they weren't actually just monitoring it. They were responding to complaints. And I, I think they've been caught out, Jono, and I think they'll, they will learn from this. No athlete, and, and let's make it specific to racing drivers, no racing drivers want to compete in a sport where they're having to appeal and, and for penalties. They need a sport where it's being policed adequately and they're, and they're not having to fight for it. At the same time, racing drivers want to race and they don't want to be over-penalized for stuff. Now, the point I'm getting to here is why has it taken a protest for the FIA to get the correct mm-hmm. result for a Formula One Grand Prix? And this should have been done beforehand. Now, I'm not going to speculate on the on the process that they've gone through, whether they had 20 people employed watching the onboard of every driver going, <laughs> oh, there we go, there's a track cut there, there's a track cut there. It's like, if that took it, bloody hell, I mean, Spanners, I would have loved to take 200 bucks today to watch an onboard of a driver and just point out whenever they yeah. you know, cross the track. I'd, I'd accept that money. I'd if they hired it. me, I would do it for them. It's what made the difference today, and it could have avoided embarrassment. Ranking. Oh, 
embarrassing indeed I think it's farcical I think it's I think it's a shambles I think it's as a racing fan something that we should be really seriously looking into how on earth have 30 seconds of penalties been awarded to Ocon after the race 30 seconds worth are you joking yeah that poor man has gone home had a shower got changed chatted to his mates and then been told oh sorry esty bestie back to the grid you go you've been demoted it's absolutely unacceptable for this number of penalties <laughs> yeah, to be awarded bad. after a race i mean esteban ocon he went he went back to his his young his young niece who said uh oh oh uncle esteban did, i saw all the penalties did you get any penalties and he said no I always follow the rules. I would never get any penalties. And now his little niece is like, Uncle Esteban, you're a hypocrite. You did get penalties and I hate you now. It's ridiculous. I, I just think, I just think there should be almost a park ferme of of penalties where, you know, that we get to a certain point past the race and we say, you know what? Let's let dead dogs lie. I'm sorry, I'm really bad with idioms. Is that what it is? No. Let's let Let's let the twigs stay Sleeping there. Dogs. Yeah. Leaping dogs lie. Let's no. let the dogs. No, that was wrong. Let's let the. <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? Like no. after a certain point after the race, at what point do we say, okay, okay park Ferme on the race? Okay. Let's leave the result as it is. That was ridiculous. That was worse than your attempt at a football analogy. Oh, I've been ridiculed online from that. Deservedly so. Yeah. Go back and listen to our Canadian Grand Prix race review, uh, Jono. Uh, this is obviously coming out right now live, so it's kind of like an emergency reaction. But the way Ocon has gotten 30 seconds of penalties, which is actually quite funny, is yeah. obviously on the fourth track breach, you get the five-second penalty, which we saw happen during the race to a lot of drivers. On the fifth, you get a 10-second penalty. And then it resets. So he's done another one, and then another one after that, and that's totaled up to 5-10, 5-10, which equals 30. God, he cut the track a lot, did Espan Ocon? Oh, ridiculous. It's bad, isn't it? And look, we waffled just long enough for the official race results to come in, which I think now means we can concentrate on, you know, some of the drivers and teams that competed in the race car race. I think we should do that. Sometimes in Formula One, there will be a team and a driver that just goes and destroys everyone because everybody has to do their homework by themselves and they go away. It's like a test and you scribble, you listen to the teacher tell you the question and then you put your hand over the paper so no one can copy you. You write down your test and then at the end they say pencils down and you all show your answers. And then those answers, if they were baked in pretty much for the rest of the Formula One, uh, for the rest of the semester, you would get a Formula One season. And we do this every single time with regulations and you do it every single time in the off season. Teams turn up with a car and inevitably there is going to be one team driver combination that runs away with it. But those seasons can be incredibly rewarding to watch as a fan. 2013 is a great example. Sebastian Vettel disappeared into the sunset after Silverstone and the camera barely ever picked up Sebastian Vettel. You never saw him. So there was great fights up and down the field. Even as a Lewis Hamilton fan, watching him in probably... Nico Hulkenberg's best season as well. You know, scrapping, fighting for you know, the points. Hulkenberg. Right, okay. Which year are we talking about? 2013. <laughs> Hulkenberg was on fire in 2013. Okay, I assumed you were talking no. about his teammate. 
What, in 20, I'm sorry. No, no, I wasn't. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have interrupted. Yeah, it was an incorrect... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but also there was a lot of fascinating things there. The Mercedes were coming out with a, a brand new kind of car concept. And if you remember, Chris, they were qualifying like a second ahead of everyone and then clinging on for yeah. dear life throughout that race. So there was a lot to watch in 2013. There was a lot of good racing, even though Sebastian Vettel had disappeared off into the distance. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I remember Nico Hulkenberg being particularly spectacular and thinking, wow, that well, guy. In that uh, case, you owe Nico Hulkenberg an apology because he was yeah, pretty I'm, good. I'm, I'm sure. I'm mm. sure. I mean, I still would have picked him over uh, Perez for the McLaren drive if it were up to me. Uh, but uh, that's, uh, that's a different conversation for a different day. It no, is. Uh, I, I'm, st- I'm still really enjoying um, Formula One, even when there isn't a title battle. I mean, obviously, we've been pretty spoiled, particularly in 2021. And certainly the first half of 2022 was very uh, exciting uh, as well. But I think there's always a story to tell in Formula One and uh, there's there's always a fight to be yeah. had. And if you look at what's happening behind Max Verstappen, it's genuinely interesting and engaging. I'd love to see if you just took Verstappen out of the results, what the kind of championship would actually be looking at. Because I, looking like, because I think you'd be looking at a lot of different winners and the order of the grid amongst Mm. that top three changing on a race by race basis exactly so my question to you antonio would be like pick the non red bull winner it's really difficult to pick out by the end of the season who will rise to the top this is really difficult actually because after today i i i think i had too much faith in mercedes's upgrades I really yes. thought that they were doing really yes. well. And all of a sudden... So did they. So did they, to be fair. Yeah, I, th- I think they did. I mean, <laughs> Toto's radio message to um, to Lewis, literally saying, I've got it here. Lewis, the car is bad, we know. Just drive it. You don't want to be saying that a few races after bringing major upgrades, both aerodynamic and mechanical. It's ridiculous. I don't know where the car went today, especially... Can I, especially with the the aerodynamic upgrades that they brought, you you would have thought that they'd do very well today, given the low drag. You just would have thought they'd do really well, and they were lost in the race. So I can't pick a winner because Ferrari still are a shambles. I mean, Carlos Sainz's radio messages were frankly heartbreaking. McLaren seemed to have come out of absolutely nowhere, and Aston Martin again a pretty unspectacular race from them. So I do, I do wonder. Like, definitely, Mercedes seemed to be a little bit surprised. Like, you could see that they were, they, they, they were completely mugged by the fact that they had no performance in previous years. I don't think uh, Mercedes have done particularly well here at the Red Bull Ring. And there was a famous year where they got dressed up in lederhosen. Oh, they did that this year. They got dressed up in the traditional. Was that at Austria before? <laughs> and then they had a really bad race. And Toto Wolf vowed that they would never do that kind of fancy dress stuff again. Not the lederhosen, but it was they were sort of dressed in sort of old timey mechanics right. gear, and what? there was the special livery as well with the white sort of being as if the silver was being peeled away from the car <laughs> was, to reveal was, their original livery. Where was it, that, was in, that was Germany 2019. Though, ah, wasn't it? was it the track? German? Maybe it was yeah. German. I was, I was just going to say that's yeah. what that race was. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they did that again this time. So maybe that's it. it is, it's the curse of the of the fancy dress. <laughs> And that's that's why they were unable to perform. No, I'll tell you this, Spanners. You are spot on by saying this has been a bit of a bogey track for Mercedes in mm. the turbo hybrid era. But what's fascinating, though, is that this year they've got a completely different car philosophy. And let me add last year as well to what they had 
all the years they dominated from 2014 to 2021. They had a car that was the quickest in straight lines. And for some reason, they come to the Red Bull ring. You think, oh, look at these two, three quick straights. And we are not the quickest car. And it was difficult for them to win. For some reason now, with not the quickest engine, it's still the same bogey track for them. Now, what I did notice was cars that seemed to be quick at Monaco seemed to relate to the Red Bull ring this year. And, you know, the Alpines were pretty quick compared to usual. Maybe I'm overrating them a little bit. Yeah. Um, But there's sort of that to come to play as well. It was a bad track for Mercedes. And uh, I think, you know, what I love about this season is it does remind me of 2009 for the old school F1 fans. A team brings an upgrade and all of a sudden they're like Mm. McLaren. Like, where did that come from? I remember 2009, you had the old Toyota's pole position at Bahrain and two races later at Monaco. They qualified like 19th and 20th. Like, it made no sense that year. And and this is a a point I made earlier to to Kev Clark on The Ringer, which is that I can't remember a season where... uh, we had so much track-specific performance. And so, okay, so Mercedes were looking ahead and they knew they were going to be bad at the Canadian Grand Prix. And you can perhaps go, well, okay, it's a pure just like drag-sensitive track. It's a very, they will go onto the softest tyres at Montreal. They always, you know, pick pick softer tyres. And then also, you know, it's bumpy. And I feel like Mercedes developed their car on a, on a billiard table and that's what they're going for. But I don't think it's that they were specifically very bad at, Austria I think perhaps it's a track that forgives a lot of the flaws of the other cars so there's a, a lot of other cars can kind of step up and, and and Ferrari can look great here and McLaren can look great here and, and I would caution the people getting excited about Ferrari and McLaren to take <laughs> that into account uh, uh, Antonio quickly then Jono and then young Christopher yeah, this goes back to what I was saying earlier with the altitude of the track. It's the same with yes. Mexico City. Low drag, low downforce, it's very forgiving and not at all representative. So if we're looking at the McLaren upgrades, for example, yeah, it's mega exciting, really genuinely to see Lando Norris performing well. Yeah. However, with a low drag circuit, obviously it means you can afford to take on a higher downforce wing. So the teams will be running a medium to high downforce setup here, despite it having not very many high downforce turns because they can afford to. So they'll be carrying rear wings similar to that that they'd have in Monaco because they can do it without losing time on the straights. So there's a lot of wiggle room on a circuit like this and Mm. a lot of forgiveness on a track like this. So like you said, Spanners, I don't necessarily think in the past it would have been a case of Mercedes not doing as well. It's just a bit of an equaliser, this one. And to add on to your point, Spanners, it's a brilliant season in terms of like, it's very track specific, like you say. To add on to that, it's very upgrade specific too. And this brings back the 2009 equation into it. We haven't seen a season since then until now where a single upgrade can push you so far up the pecking order. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like what we saw from McLaren on Norris's car specifically, because obviously Piastri didn't have those upgrades himself, was was insane. You know, to see a car jump up to podium contending. Am I being a bit optimistic there? We'll get into no, that. No, it was. It was later, contending. No. It was podium contending, you would have to say. Um, what was magnificent. And and, you know, to me, this is the brilliance of it. I mean, who knows what's going to happen next week at Silverstone when Mercedes bring their next upgrades. Are they going to be contending for the win? You know, it, it's it's a jumping pecking order and it's a development battle and a development race. And that brings in another fun element to Formula One too. Yeah, so Jono, as you mentioned, big upgrade coming at the next round at Silverstone for Mercedes as well. So let's see where, the, where they end up there. I think a, a, an important factor that we haven't really mentioned yet is that this was a sprint weekend as well so they had one hour of practice to kind of 
locked down the setup. And I think Mercedes is still getting their head around this car, particularly when it's been a, a change of concept for them as well. Um, with the side pods and the whole new front suspension as well. It's a lot for them to get their heads around, and I don't think they've quite nailed it just yet. So the fact that we had such limited running before qualifying probably played a part in that as well. Oh, Chris, what a beautiful point you've just made. Yes, I think engine setup is a huge thing on a sprint weekend because teams can't switch around the the way that they used to be able to in previous seasons. So an engine setup that they would ideally have for a short sprint race where you're not going to have pit stops, you ideally wouldn't have at a normal race, which they've had to do. And so not only have they had limited time to choose this setup, but this setup will have had to be a compromise between two ideals. So it's so difficult for teams to nail. And I think some teams really hit the mark this weekend. Yeah, for example, the the McLaren of Lando Norris and other teams just didn't. So I think that's such an important point. And McLaren always seems to go really well um, here, even though across like different engine uh, manufacturers that they've had in the back of that car over the last um, uh, few years or so as well. But he, McLaren and Norris in particular always seems to go really well um, at Red Bull Ring. And so I think you, you, you throw in those kind of variables um, on top of that and, and you start to see the a sort of quite similar picture being formed there. And like we we know that this track can throw up some odd results because look at what happened last year when Charles Leclerc passed Max Verstappen three times for the lead in a single race. Yet either side of that event, Ferrari was nowhere near Red Bull at that point in the season. Mm. So I would always take this one with a pinch. Of okay, salt. well, well, let's go to let's go to Ferrari because if there's one thing I enjoy as someone who loves to hate. Uh, Ferrari in in a way because I do consider them my I consider them my enemy my pantomime enemy love you Tafosi love you Ferrari fans uh, there's nothing more I love than seeing Ferrari fans getting false hope Chris and I do I do believe <laughs> that the, that is what this is do you know what um do you know what annoyed me today is Ferrari did something great in Canada they actually nailed the strategy right and everyone's they did. going they did oh yeah. my god. This is like they're getting on top of it. And then Ferrari just went back to Ferrariing again when they just did not let Carlos Sainz <gasps> yes. pass Leclerc at some point. He was obviously faster. He'd been faster the entire weekend. And suddenly when he's sitting there three tenths behind Leclerc, and he's not just going to go and, and dive in on him without talking it through with the team. And he's told, no, don't attack. Why not? Verstappen's going off into the distance and getting smaller and smaller in their view. And all you're doing is letting him being held up behind his own teammate and then getting screwed over with the pit stop under VSC as well. I just want to save us some emails. Uh, Verstappen wasn't getting smaller. He was get, he was getting further away. So I just want to just fend off some emails there. Antonia. Oh, I think the Ferrari, the Ferrari point is semi-valid, semi-invalid because how could you have hope? When you're hearing radio messages like, oh, so do you want to do, we're thinking like a three-stop race (laughs) at a track where that is quite literally the most costly thing to do. Are you joking? A 20-second pit pit delta on a one-minute lap? Are you joking? Put me in that seat. Seriously, put me in it. I can do it. I, I believe in in my average personal ability. Yeah, because are you kidding me? 
three stops on a circuit where you ideally in an ideal world you would do that as a one stop and it's not you can't but like you know that's the one circuit it's the fastest lap on the calendar it's the fifth shortest distance lap but time-wise it's the shortest why would you do three stops oh my god ferrari please throw us a bone throw us a bone throw us something a scrap i'm just recovering slightly from antonia who i think just valley girled the ferrari pit wall but yeah okay jono (laughs) i i think the theory by thinking three stops was due to the virtual safety car i don't think they even consider that without the vsc so The fact that they saved so much time on that first stop, which, by the way, barely saved time on that first stop. You talk about two and a half seconds, or maybe not two and a half, two seconds slower each car, and they barely made it to the pit lane. Add salt to the wound is the fact that they, I think they crossed the pit entry blend line right as the VSC was called, which was just such poor timing. And yeah, look, that was the same for Max Verstappen, Chris, but it was the same for the Ferraris, and it came off at the worst time. I'm pretty sure it went green while Sainz was still in the pit lane. Yeah, uh, as well. So yeah, even more salt in and, the wounds. And and same for Stroll. You know, he he got caught out the worst. I think Stroll. He was still in the lane. But here's here's the point, and I'm completely with Chris on this. Whether Science would have won the race or not is is probably not you know not true. But they should have at least released him. I understand why. You don't want to upset Leclerc. There's a bigger sort of emotional human aspect to this than just letting Science through, and they're all happy go lucky. Uh, but Science took all the hits for Ferrari today. He never got released to chase Verstappen, never got to show the true potential of the car. He's quicker than Leclerc on race pace. And he potentially saved Leclerc's P2 from Perez. Yeah, I really do want to talk about Science because I, I I, think his relationship with his pit wall engineer is really interesting. I've just had someone on my Instagram mention this. Signs was so unhappy with what he was being told from the pit wall today. And we've been saying this all season, even last season, the season before heck we were saying this why why is there not a clearer established relationship between the drivers and their pit wall because at the moment it seems they're bossing each other around with no clear almost hierarchy of right signs we know best here we're going to tell you what to do versus maybe a different approach of we know that you're the one on track signs what do you want to do it just seems so up in the air where every one of that team appears clueless and again it's farcical because it's embarrassing for ferrari to be knocking back and forth going oh well um science what do you think we should do and or then on the on the opposite side yeah. offering something to science and him going no what's and wrong Leclerc. with you and leclerc as well, yeah, well they, they exactly him that it's, too. it's with both of oh. them and i've said this so many times on this podcast and i wish ferrari would watch this podcast because they <laughs> okay. could do with some advice they could do with you you know you're brilliant it's them that's stupid well, but, but, and I, I, you know, not to, I'm, I don't genuinely believe I'd be a very good strategist. <laughs> I'm, I, know, I just I think some of the calls that are being made, even on the surface level, their communication has completely broken down. The poor Charles, poor Charles, his radio messages, you can hear the despondency and the sadness in his voice as he goes, no, what was that? What were you thinking? What were we doing? I think there was a pit call relatively, uh, oh, here, signs radio message to, on lap 16, he went, oh, guys, come on, because they had a really bad pit stop under the virtual safety they car. double stacked. And it was not the right decision. You know, these drivers don't believe oh, in man. their pit wall. Yeah, and then Christian Horner, even in his the post race interviews, is going, "Well, I don't know why Ferrari didn't double stack. We would have double. We would have double stacked." Uh, and then, yeah, not giving themselves a fighting chance. And science does come across as just purely exasperated about it. And it's it's all on show. 
that's the thing. It's all very public laundry that's being put out there. And it does kind of go back to the Vettel days as well. And there was a lot of talk in those days about, well, Vettel is the best strategist in F1 because he's having to call the strategy from in the car. And I don't think it's that particularly, well, maybe he did have a good, a good strategy eye, but it wasn't because he was, he was being the best strategy driver out there. It's just he had no option at the time but to overrule the team. And that seems to have con- continued. And I know this is very armchair fan, Jono, but I think Antonio does have a very good point because it, it seems like there isn't just a confidence on the pit wall to go, we're doing this. And like when Lewis Hamilton complains, they will say, they will give like a firm answer. They'll say, if you do that, Lewis, we're going to miss out. We're going to lose out to the two cars behind. And Lewis is going, yeah, but I'm looking at P1. No, you're P11, Lewis. We're, we're defending the undercut from P12 yeah. and P13. Lewis has also had the same race engineer now for nine years. True. Ten years almost since 2013. So he has built a much more trustworthy relationship. I'm glad you brought up Vettel. And as a, somebody myself who loves F1 history, great person to talk about. Yeah. But I was trying to think when we brought this topic up, when did this whole Ferrari storyline of them being bad at strategy start? Because remember in the mid 2000s, they used to be the kings of strategy back with Ross Braun and Michael Schumacher and everything. And I was like, I remember the race now. It was 2010 Abu Dhabi. It was when Fernando Alonso lost the title. And that was the beginning, I remember, of Ferrari strategy getting trashed week in, week out. And since then, it's been 13 years, almost 12 and a half years since that race. And we're still talking about it. They didn't have a great strategy. They just had a car that it didn't matter what strategy they did. They would still win the race. Uh, But I remember remember even in 2010, even in 2010, you know, they had a huge lead in the summer or 2012. It was 2012. They had a huge lead in the summer, like over a race wins lead. And that was, you know, people were talking even then about like they Ferrari'd that lead. So I think even by then they kind of had that reputation. And, and, and it was, even then it was like, they are wasting Fernando Alonso. I remember that being the narrative of mm-hmm. that time. So that did exist then. And Chris is absolutely right. I, I don't think they could do any wrong. I think the Ferrari of the early 2000s is comparable to the turbo hybrid Mercedes and to the, the Red Bull of now. Antonio. Yeah, well, I mean, you said they wasted Alonso. Look at the talent that lies dormant in Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, mm. two world champions if I ever did see. Yeah. I mean, even in as early as I think with 2019, Charles Leclerc specifically was getting pole position after pole position. He was getting his maiden race wins in, in Spa and Italy. And gosh, that 2019, the Italian Grand Prix at Monza, Charles Leclerc's win brought a tear to my eye. It was absolute magic. And and then the the just disaster class begun. Mm. And it's exasperating because you do feel like they're wasting the talent of the drivers that they have. Drivers shouldn't need to make the strategy call from their car. It's not their job. They might think they know better, but it is not their job. They are there to drive the car. That's why we have a whole wall of people who have all of the data and even more people back at the factory who then communicate the data. It is not the driver's job to say, okay, I think we should pit lap 13 because we need to defend from the undercut. It's ridiculous. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, so it feels like we're going really heavy on Ferrari right now, and I, I, and we are, which is a bad because they did finish second and third today, and yet we're still absolutely hammering them because the 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 second and third today feels like the landlord that sticks the A four piece of paper over the hole in the wall and then just you know rollers over it with paint. So yes, but you're right. All these points are valid. Ferrari are a team that have made number twos out of champions and have 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 wasted a lot of talent. And, and that is continuing today. But let's look at specifically some of the stuff that, that happened uh, with Carlos Sainz. There was a fantastic battle between Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez. Now, these this is two drivers that are, have big fan followings. They're not mugs. They Neither of them have yet to show their, their full potential. Or you could argue with Perez that you know he's, he's wasted a little bit of that, that potential at times. But they're two drivers. I think Perez had the car advantage today. I think Sainz was possibly the better driver, and uh, but they did provide like two or three laps of great entertainment. Carl uh, Perez not quite able to to have that killer thrust early on, which extended it and and potentially cost him second place. The big talking point, though, I think from that is Carlos Sainz accusing Sergio Perez of intimidation. Antonia, what, he 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 was speaking so confidently as if you're not allowed to intimidate a driver. Yeah, some of these drivers would just be eaten alive by Michael Schumacher, wouldn't they? My gosh. They they would just be absolutely battered by him on the circuit because what of course it's intimidation. What's wrong with intimidation? That's part of the strategy. You know, you follow really closely and then overtake them. I think in the sprint race yesterday, it was really interesting to see Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll. Alonso constantly letting Stroll know that he could overtake him if he wanted to, but didn't. It, intimidation. There is nothing wrong with intimidation. That's a very normal race thing. You know, we can expect that from drivers. However, I just think that that battle was finally a glimpse of something good. I think we all saw Verstappen cruise on by and we thought, oh gosh, you know, Sainz isn't going to last a minute. And then he did. And then he continued to last. And it was fantastic. And I know there's a bit of a debate about him moving under braking, maybe. To be honest, I think it was just good, scrappy 
defensiveness. I think it was a mm. really, really great battle. I'll, I'll hum. I'm going to hum. I'm oh, going to hum. Is that disapproving? Oh, yeah, no. Because I, no, no, not disapproving at all. Because you're allowed to defend your position. But, and, and, and I think like there's a decision about when you head to the apex and whether you should leave a car's width to the car on the apex. Do they deserve room once you go on the exit? Should you leave, you know, you know, push them off track Verstappen Hamilton style or whether to leave them room on the exit? The thing I, I think is that once you get into the braking zone, you kind of you pick your line by the time you get to the braking zone. So and I think that's fair. So you're, you're, you're alongside you've, you've, you've got the exit from the previous corner and and that's that's your lot. It's like you did you get your car alongside enough? Uh, are you going to try and outbreak them and get your car alongside enough? But I do feel like it's an unwritten rule that's never been kind of clarified that once you get into that braking zone, it's then too late to like pretend that you were four or five meters over to the right and, and then continue that braking zone. So I do I do think there's a case to say moving in the braking zone is something we don't want. Of course, Verstappen showed that to glorious effect in like 27, 2018. Uh, I don't know. Let, let's focus on the moving in the braking zone specifically. Jono, I don't think this was a particularly bad case of it, but I, but I did think he did do it. it. It was very close. It was good hard racing. I, I thought it was kind of fun to watch. Oh, yeah. One thing yeah. is, I do think it was kind of lost in translation. Uh, you know, Knowing Carlos Sainz is a very good English speaker and, and no, no discrediting him, but I think... I don't think intimidating is the word he was probably looking for. I think maybe ah. there's just the word in English. He didn't know how to, to sort so, of, it could have translated differently. And this happens a lot of the time. I know a lot of Spanish people who will say stuff that I go, what? And then can can I interrupt? And I go, because oh. we've got Jose in our uh, Patreon Slack group who is, is uh, from Valencia. And he's saying, nah, intimidation does mean exactly the same in Spanish. So I do wonder, Chris, like, <laughs> what, what was he driving at? Is there some specific regulation? Uh, I mean, I don't really know. I, I I lost a bit of respect for Carlos Sainz today, to be honest, with oh, that radio call. It was weird. It was really weird. And it sounded a bit like, you know, I think last time I was on the show, I was talking about how I'm fed up of drivers just getting on the radio and complaining about other drivers for doing really nothing wrong. And this was a prime example of just science getting on the blower and going, where, where, Paris is hounding me, where, where. Ooh, that's frankly, so harsh. No, but frankly, what Science was doing in his defense was far more aggressive and, let's say, intimidating than what Perez was doing in his attack. And it was a great battle to watch. And again, I think somewhat slightly dampened by the fact that we spent the whole time talking about, is he going to be behind the DRS line this time? Is he going to time the braking just right? I mean, uh, that's not racing. Let's talk about racing. Okay, I have a couple of points off of that, actually. Tell us Um, both of them. You can have as many as you want. Two, yes. exactly two. Okay, exactly two. Yeah, I think the the whole intimidation thing is ridiculous. I think, in a way, it might have been playing to this new regulation that we've had recircling the sportsmanlike behaviour that we've heard being thrown around a couple of times. Now, obviously, this was not necessarily unsportsmanlike. It was just hard racing. But I think maybe Carlos Sainz was just trying to get a little wedge in the door there thinking, this isn't very nice. This isn't very clean. You know, he says this whilst moving under braking, but I digress. I think that's probably what he was trying to jab at with that word there, the intimidation. Now onto the DRS lines. I'm going to oh, put yes. forth good, good, a good, very interesting point here, which I mean, I think it's very interesting. <laughs> Um, I don't think a circuit like this, we need DRS whatsoever. Yeah, 
that's a there great is natural point. drag great resistance point. from the altitude. I I actually think DRS kind of took away from some of the racing today. All it did was make gaps huge. I don't think we needed it at all. The drag resistance was from the altitude. The 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 negative so-called effects of of having downforce were already cancelled out. I actually think the racing would have been better without it. And in the sprint race, the racing was better before it. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to keep saying it until they change the rule. Change the format of DRS to like a timed amount. You get 200 seconds of it. You can use it whenever you want during the race. And we won't have these stupid, easy DRS passes because if you do anything other than a easy DRS pass now, then people freak out and say, oh, that was far too aggressive. And oh, he's driving like a maniac. This is true. I do think you are right. Unless if it's not that this is something I've noticed as well. If it's not a clean overtake on a straight where they just cruise on by, it's considered, oh, he's just gone up the inside. Oh, look how close that was. And in in normal racing per se, that is just considered an overtake. I think bringing in a cool sort of attack mode, almost like there is in other C- series like Formula E, would be really interesting because it does also add a strategic element to racing. You know what's going to happen, Spanners, straight away? We take out DRS, mm. we limit it like Chris says, we do all this kind of stuff all these gimmicks and then fans will complain about not having good racing and there's not enough overtakes and the drivers whine too much and people complain about this all the time and people you know to me complaining about complaining number one stop fans out there in f1 no Uh, number two so i can't endorse that so essential space i can't so essential okay i'll endorse the second one drs is essential right now i think antonio makes a great case for this specific track and they should be more flexible around tracks because we've got more than enough historical data to say where DRS works and where it doesn't. Or we... alternatively, sorry, what they what they could do would be take Chris's suggestion partially and they mediate it according to the demands of the circuit. So at a circuit like this, there's less DRS allowance. At a higher downforce circuit, generally, you know, like Monaco, there's greater DRS allowance. And then that would then mediate that. And I'm sorry, you're completely right, Jono. People complain constantly in my comments i always have people saying oh i wish we could go back to the schumacher era as if they were alive in that era but you know people will always complain and it's they refer to a different era of racing as the scope of comparison and it's like well you were all complaining back then too all your tiktok viewers are like 20 like you and therefore their opinions are irrelevant so you can just (laughs) safely you can ignore that safely uh guys yeah no i think you know the the we're getting into kind of like non-race uh, topics and mm-hmm. so we don't want to kind of descend into anonymity by not concentrating on the race otherwise chris we'd be aston martin where were they today where without their appeal <sighs> where were they today and I, i'll tell you what though aston martin are the best team at arguing rules and decisions you know when yes. they when they got the decision overturned for the penalty where they touched the car before the penalty had expired and then they somehow argued that they didn't do that and then they didn't get a penalty. Like Aston Martin are absolutely bomb hot at arguing. And they have caused in a lot of ways the massive headache for the FIA by, by rightly pointing out that they weren't monitoring it properly and they've gained a place. So Aston Martin low-key are the best arguers, but in the race, a little bit disappointing. Yeah, the pace just kind of wasn't there, really, which I think maybe is to be expected with Ferrari bringing updates and uh, Mercedes bringing updates. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're talking about how 
the rate of the updates is uh, affecting the the field of play and is uh, you know affecting the order on a race by race basis and i think we're just kind of in that aston martin lull period that will maybe come back up when they start bringing upgrades again but you know w- w- once again we've got stroll not being um Mm. In, in the right in the on the pace basically because you look how close he was to alonso at the start of the race you know they were alongside each other and i know he had the third stop and maybe he was slightly screwed by the the vsc but he still barely scraped a point um today or maybe he got bumped up to ninth because of all these penalties but you know still not 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 where he should be yeah, no, I'm I going back to their whole not being anywhere today thingy. I've done every race I do color coordinated notes. I don't I'm not sure if you can see for each driver in each team. And on my sheet of a whole page of color coordinated notes, I've used my green highlighter for Aston Martin two times. Once on lap 18 to say Stroll is down in 15th, he pitted too late. And then again on lap 37 just to say that Stroll pitted onto the hard tires. They were nowhere this race. Aston was trying that contrary strategy when they were there with Alonso that just kind of didn't go anywhere, basically. Starting him on the hard tyre and then the early VSC wanting to bring him in, that was not good timing. One thing we mustn't forget is, and last week we're on the Mailbag show and we severely criticised Lance Stroll. One of the Mailbag questions came in and said, well, why does he still have that seat? Well, I'll tell you this, he did very well this weekend and did finish above Alonso in a lot of the sessions, finished above him in a sprint. Uh, qualified just below him in, in sprint shootout and every other session did well and except the race now here's where Lance Stroll went wrong why go on the inside of turn one on lap one when you know Fernando Alonso is the outside line king of Formula One history and goes sailing past when you're stuck in a, in a log jam of cars and drivers and you should know better than that Lance who's apparently world championship talent Chris yeah, so it's okay that he did bad because he sucks at lap ones, basically, is what we're saying. <laughs> no. Well, also the fact that he did lose a lot of time, as as you both mentioned, under the VSC, yeah. and he did lose a lot of time in traffic because of his terrible uh, start to the race, which there's no exception that, you know, cost him the race there, was, was turn one lap one. If he's ahead of Alonso at that stage, you know what? Mm. Fernando probably makes his way past, finishes a few seconds ahead of him, but it's not inflated to, I think it was like 30 seconds at the line between the two, which is over a full pit stop. So not the best of looks for Lance Stroll in the Grand Prix in the event that matters. But I have to say throughout the weekend, I was actually quite uh, not impressed, but I was quite pleased with the fact that he wasn't embarrassed as he was in previous races by his teammate, which also credit to Lance Stroll. Can I just mention um, resting his wrist a lot, um, still recovering from that injury he had preseason. It's still a low bar, Antonio. I still get upset about the low bar. So Jono has just sat there and gone, well, he wasn't embarrassed by his teammate. It's a low bar. Yeah, it really is. Again, we, we've, spe- we've spoken about this a few times where we've said, oh, you know, go easy on Lance. He's with, he's with Fernando Alonso, a two-time world champion, as he should be, as every driver should be. There's 20 of them in the whole world. He's got to be pretty, pretty blimming mm. good to be up there. But I mean... There just there has to be a certain standard that we hold these drivers to. I really wanted to touch actually on Alpha Tauri with yeah. these drivers because okay. with oh, Alpha yes, Tauri, yeah, oh my goodness, I'm getting so fed up of them being so blimming bang average. I oh. DeVries is not doing no, any good. I agree. Sonoda, actually, I think to be honest, I think his incident in lap one was absolutely horrendous. He braked way yes, too late and I it was agree. very poor racing I, I from agree. him. So you know I'm a Yuki fan. You all know I'm a Sonoda fan. 
And he's pushing. He's pushing really hard right now. And he's trying to show that he's going to be the next Verstappen, the next person to go into that Red Bull seat. But, you know, today he just had a he had a rush of blood. He got caught up in uh, he, he got caught up in uh, like a pack of like, you know, people around him lost his front wing. He was fighting Sergio Perez really hard. It really felt like he was like, nah, this is all or nothing. This is a chance for glory. I'm going to go, go, go. And he, he went for it. And then he got to, I think, the turn four right-hander and did not account at all for the concertina effect of the pack bunching up. And Chris, like, what do we say? What do we say to people, Like, even in our iRacing thing? That's the number one thing we say, <laughs> lap one. You are not going to be able to pick your normal braking point. And he just flew past everyone. I'm glad he didn't just go and rear-end everyone, but like that's yeah. quite a... It feels like a basic a basic error. Well, he, he steamed into turn one yeah. super aggressively. Yes. Um, and, you know, it was a win or bin it in turn one move. Win or bin, and that's the key phrase. The time, he went win or bin today. Yeah. By the time you get to mm. F1, you should know that you can't win a race on the first lap. You can definitely lose it, and Sonoda lost it because he clipped his front wing and then lost all the downforce, didn't even attempt to accommodate for that going into turn four, and ended up in the gravel because of it, because he's being way too aggressive for some reason. Mm. I don't know, what, I don't know what, what someone said to him that morning. Okay, yeah. It's like he saw red okay. today. But Verstappen was praised for his aggression at the same stage in his career. Controlled aggression, though. That was oh, the crucial really? thing. What? Shanghai, just... Shanghai into Sebastian Vettel, that was controlled no, okay, aggression. that was not... I can no, give you that eight other control. examples. But it was, no, it was the thing, it, well, you're forgetting as well that Verstappen was also insanely fast as well. So it was more about polishing <laughs> him Fair a enough. little bit and refining, refining him. Whereas Yuki hasn't come in with that same kind of credential, has he? He's still trying to prove himself. Oh, Jono, Jono's mad at me. No, no, Jono's Antonio really first and then we'll have Jono being mad at you. Yuki's not 17. They'll say, you know, Verstappen, when he came into F1, he was this teeny tiny kid with all of this massive potential, right? Yuki Tsunoda is now a seasoned Formula One driver who has consistently shown that he cannot provide results due to his impulsive, aggressive driving. He has consistently proven that he frankly is not up to the mark that he I set himself like when, this. He came in, when he came into f1 like everyone said the same things that yes they said about verstappen they said gosh this kid's got pace he's gonna be good and yes with verstappen exactly like chris said that could then be shaped and it did shape he got the experience points very very quickly unfortunately and i do mean unfortunately because i really do root mm. for yuki for me i'm past my point of sympathy with him I, I'm a bit more forgiving on DeVries, who a bit more forgiving because he has experience in other racing series. They are just not providing results. And I think mistakes like the one Sonoda made today, rookie, rookie error. Are you making me, all of that made me sad? Jono, cheer me up. I can't cheer you up. Oh, in that case, but Chris. <laughs> well, move to Chris. No, 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 no. The Chris, here's a good question for you. Who okay. do you think we are going to put in that second Red Bull? Realistically, because we're not going to put like Lewis Hamilton or Fernando Alonso, right? Like realistically, from the Red Bull Junior program, that is not going to have their career ended by Max Verstappen. <laughs> Doesn't matter who you put in. Yeah, this is this is really true, isn't it? Because Max Verstappen wrecks careers of his teammates just in the same way that Lewis Hamilton pretty much uh, has has done. Or Cut, you just poor Kovalainen. Yeah, yeah. Got that poor oh, guy. Poor. He was um, he was right on the brink, and then Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
didn't he have Fernando Alonso as a teammate as well? Or was he that, did. Um, yeah. No, oh, no, 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 no. He didn't. Sorry, excuse me. Oh, uh, no. Okay, that was uh, the the between years. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. I mean, it's funny. I was talking about this uh, on the way to the karting event actually, where we're we're in that situation with the Red Bull Junior program again, uh, or we're getting close to it anyway, uh, purely because they seem to refuse to uh, actually bring their drivers up into. Formula One, they've let so many go by the wayside. And do you remember a few years ago when they had literally no one and they had to go through the bin and find drivers that they'd fired to, to come and drive for AlphaTauri? That's when they got Brendan they brought, Hartley and they brought Hartley, back yeah. Alex Albon oh, as well. Leave really Brendan Hartley alone. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. He's got a street named after him. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it was really embarrassing for, for Red Bull to have to do that. And now I think there are two. I think there are two. Liam Lawson is obviously the one being very much talked about with his um, career heading into Japan now. Having, having Staying in Formula 2 for him was never going to achieve anything, uh, but he wasn't going to go into Formula 1 because there wasn't a space. So I think very much there's a space at AlphaTauri there uh, for him. And I think the other one would be Ayumu Iwasa, who is in the hunt for okay. the F2 title. Uh, at the moment, maybe not on to the same degree as as Lawson, but mm. of the ones that are in F two right now, Iwasa to me seems to be the most impressive. All right, okay, but let's it's a race review. Let's let's get let's bring it back to raciness, and we are some hour and four minutes into our race review, which is uh, ab- abhorrent. This might be the first ever time, Chris, that we've exceeded our harsh sixty second lim- uh, sixty minute limit. So I am going to have to make some severe edit so your incredible anecdote about that time you went camel riding in brazil we're gonna to have to cut all of that all 10 minutes of that it's oh, gone I, it's first gone. of all first of all twitter starts limiting how many <laughs> tweets you can do in a day and now Ooh, this yeah that's bad that's bad but i do want to touch on uh, mercedes and uh, well specifically lewis hamilton and as a mercedes fan uh, and as a lewis hamilton fan uh, i had a very i had a bad day from that point of view because, well, the thing is, Jono, like, we've talked a lot about Lewis Hamilton's, the, the way he emotes. And my goodness, like, I do want to encourage everybody always like feel your truth. Let your heart show. Never hold anything back. But then I think of the movie Frozen and the, the important lessons taught to us by that. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let it show. And Lewis Hamilton has obviously never seen Frozen because he shows you everything that he is feeling. And today you could just see he was broken almost from start to finish. And you know what I was very impressed by from Lewis Hamilton today? And he's had these moments in his career sporadically. But the same way we thought Michael Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel, and even Max Verstappen now can be mean, mean people as world champions, to put it as a child safe word. But they can be very mean and they can be very intimidating as Carlos Sainz can explain. But what Lewis Hamilton did today was he was a bit mean himself, and I kind of liked it, you know? He was saying, well, if they're going to dish out penalties, might as well get this guy and that guy. And he that, kind of yeah, just didn't give mean. a damn. Yeah, He did not give a damn, and that's what I loved about Lewis today was, you know what, he was no longer nice. And I'm not saying he has been nice, but he's always won fairly. He holds his he's anger back never... a little bit, doesn't he? So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I was really impressed by that today because what I what I wasn't impressed by was, and I know we're going back, it's not the Grand Prix, mm. but back, you know, was it the sprint shootout, I think, when he basically started his lap, Verstappen had ended his, Verstappen's done nothing wrong with Spanners, you're probably going to get angry at me about, <laughs> Verstappen started his next lap, pretended to be on a hot lap and just impeded Lewis and 
gotten that, away with it because you've literally described like a an offence. Yes, but he's done it under the mm. rules. Now I'm yeah. not going to go into that. I think with common sense, anyone can realise that that's not a penalty. That's unsportsmanlike but... behaviour. Ask Lando <laughs> Norris about that. But that's mm. what that's what Verstappen does. Mm. He is mean, and Lewis he Hamilton in that situation, <laughs> for him to get taken advantage of like that, mm. I would just be like, I don't give a damn the rest of this weekend. I am not moving out of so, anyone's way. Yeah. I'm not being nice to anyone else, and I loved it from Lewis. So I, I've changed my mind on this. D- during the race, I really felt like, oh, man, Lewis, you're doing it again. And whenever Hamilton is being overly emotional, whenever he's like that, whenever he's wearing his heart on his mouth, it normally means either he doesn't have the car underneath him, he hasn't got confidence, he isn't performing. So they go hand in hand. A bad Lewis Hamilton performance and him being very expressive like that, normally, you know, they go hand in hand and it's, it's always bad news. But I have changed my mind in light of the Aston Martin protest and the fact that probably everyone was, was violating the track limits. I think Lewis Hamilton was 100% correct now uh, to be pointing out other drivers and saying, well, I got the penalty, but I'm literally watching people do it, you know, and, and he didn't benefit in the end from that appeal. But I, I do think he was right to go, well, if I've got that, if I've got that penalty, apply that to, to everyone. And the stewarding was quite inconsistent. And when that penalty first came up, Lewis Hamilton was the first person, I think, that got penalised over the weekend. And we saw loads of penalising, uh, penalizable offences. So, so I'm going to back him now, Chris. I'm going to say, yes, it did come across as whiny. Yes, he did get told off by teacher. But I kind of I back it now. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, sometimes you do just need to tell the team, guys, we've got a major problem here, and just kind of wake them up to it a little bit, especially when they went into this weekend expecting quite a bit more than what they got out of it, even just before all these penalties got applied, because... I think uh, actually I don't think it affected their points tally because I think Lewis just got dropped behind uh, Russell in the end. But yeah, not the weekend they were expecting. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I do think though one thing to just think about with this whole whining on the radio thing is to what extent did the FAA kind of reward that today by listening to the drivers? Yeah. You know, like we've been saying the last few race reviews. Oh, we're so bored of the drivers kind of coming on and pointing out when they see something wrong like well that was an unsafe release and then the engineer goes i agree that looked very unsafe like (laughs) yeah it's like role play it's drama class exactly it it feels scripted in a way and i get but that worked today the drivers got what they wanted from doing that so it's like it it would Mm. it's being it's like shouting and screaming in front of your children and then getting annoyed when they shout and scream as well and it's like well where do you think they learned that from you know i love it i love that thing of yeah it's like uh, i think that carlos Sainz was moving under braking yes sergio i also agree that carlos Sainz was moving <laughs> under braking and also let's hope this gets transmitted on the the sky broadcast yeah. it's, it, it's, it's just annoying <laughs> the, the best sports always have communication between your athletes or your drivers and, and race control you know who are your referees if you're talking football here or some other sports or that rugby game that's no, no jokes we hate it. Real weird anyway. sport. <laughs> so what I like about Formula One is that they appreciate driver feedback. What I don't like is when race control let the drivers take control of the rules. What it should be is not race control taking over the race and taking over the rules. It should be race control monitoring 
the race and monitoring the rules. And today I didn't feel they did a good job of that. And I know we touched upon this earlier in the podcast, but that to me was, um, I just wanted to add to that, is like you, you can't have a sport where you're allowed to hear driver feedback and they're allowed to talk on the radio to race control, but you can't have them dictating what gets penalized. And no. we've had this whole ugly farce with the protests. Anyway. So what we've noticed in the last four or five years is that it is very valuable to be able to play the referee well. And and there are certain characters within Formula One who play the referee very well. I think Aston Martin do it fantastically. Obviously, the most famous example is Red Bull in 2021 with, uh, this is what we're talking about, let them race, when Verstappen did that ridiculous turn for, you know, pushing Lewis Hamilton wide in Brazil. So playing the referee is a part of sport. And it, and it does happen. And at the moment, Aston Martin are, are probably one of the best at that, but all the teams are playing at it. And, and in fact, the master of it has probably been Fernando Alonso over recent years. You know, he just comes over the radio and they, they know that the race control, they know that the stewards, no one is oblivious to social media now. So if you apply pressure, that will bleed into how the referee dictates you know their decision it does affect it sports teams have done this forever all right let's move on a little bit uh in any other business yeah we've covered yuki sonoda throwing things away jono i was going to add george russell the oh yeah, fact that on, yeah. we, we we did rumor for i would say months now it's been rumored that his performance has dropped off because mercedes has taken the car's direction in a favor that suits lewis hamilton George confirmed over the weekend that he doesn't believe that's true. He just thinks he's struggling and the form's not there. And oh, and that okay. was interesting that's for George interesting, to admit, yeah. you know? Very, very interesting. Because yeah. I, I was on the theory that the car suited Lewis better. But um, George even said that Lewis isn't even comfortable with the car still. He still wants it to go in a direction that favors him mm-hmm. a little bit. So that's sort of uh, very realistic from George. If you, if you believe what he said, you know, you always have to take what people say with a grain of salt. But... Very, very interesting. To well, no, I, I didn't actually catch that, but it's quite interesting because we've talked about how his race pace is slightly behind Lewis Hamilton this season. And it's not entirely unexpected because Lewis Hamilton has a, a habit of doing that to teammates. And it is Lewis Hamilton's team at the moment. So it would be a very, very tough ask. It would be surprising if any of the drivers that came up against Lewis Hamilton would have been consistently faster than him. It would have been surprising if Rosberg had had more race pace even at that point, it would have been surprising. It would have been surprising if Bottas came in and just creamed Lewis Hamilton on race pace. So so for Russell to come in and just kind of be a few tenths off on race pace, not a massive surprise. Not only that, but last year, and, and we talked about this thoroughly, is George Russell was very impressive last year. But throughout the early stages of the season, I thought Lewis Hamilton's race pace was majority of the time quicker than George. And yes, this season, was, yeah. we've seen that. Yes. The fact that we haven't had this year is Lewis Hamilton's bad luck that he suffered from last year. Safety cars, VSCs, mechanical issues, trying tra- stuff tra- with the track setup. Limits. Hasn't track, limits. <laughs> track limits. Yeah, track limits. Track limits. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had that come into play as well. Um, I also think George has been a step slower. So that that's another factor to come in. But um, one thing we did notice last year, and I've always said this, Spanners, is George always seemed to be on or would have the best luck when Mercedes would have a race-winning car. And Lewis always seemed to do well and be the quicker driver when the car was good enough for P2 or P3. So it would be overshadowed a little bit. So I think despite Russell scoring more points last year and all this stuff, I still think it's pretty much almost the same between the two of them. Oh, we get to play my favorite game now. I do have to find the button. It's going to take me some while. Oh, there it is. 
Whose fault is it? Here at Missed Apex Podcast, we don't believe in anything like racing incidents. We like to assign blame to all things. So here's an easy one, Chris. Nick DeFries pushing Kevin Magnussen wide. This is DeFries' fault. Not much to be said about it. You have to explain why, or it's a really short segment. Well, you say he pushed him off. He absolutely pushed him off. Uh, Magnussen, was it Magnussen? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Magnussen was fully alongside uh, DeFries and was entitled to space on the exit of the corner there. And DeFries gave him absolutely none. Antonio. Yeah, slam dunk DeVries. The only whose fault was it that I really wasn't sure about was in the sprint race at turn three with Verstappen and Perez. Ooh, that one I had okay, my go. eyebrows All raised. All right, here we go. Now we're All in. Right. Okay, I think Antonia raised it, so you get the, the first crack at whose fault all of those were. Right, I'm not going to lie. I disagree with absolutely everyone who said it was more... Perez's fault I actually think it was more Max to be honest I think Perez going into that corner he there was like a twitch going wide but then he was in front I I don't know I I, maybe I need to rewatch it again but I understand I do understand both sides of the frustration but Mm -hmm. I do lean more towards that being Max's fault to be honest who was saying it was Perez's fault genuinely many people i when i was watching the sky broadcast everyone was saying it was perez's fault i was like what? no it's not many no, dutch seriously. people <laughs> sorry that is so wrong uh, it, are, are we talking just... about we're talking uh, about turn three right here yeah I'm, I'm oh confused. here i was thinking i'm being devil's advocate i'm the i'm i'm the other opposite no. i guess okay. so. no sorry T- there's two things happening there right there was turns three and turns four right turn three bit of a racing it one of those things because he was locking up and and struggling to get the car slowed down i can kind of forgive him for that right what he then did at turn four going down the hill oh my god where he was just oh just wait 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 now i'm going to turn into the corner that is exactly what rosberg tried to do to hamilton yes yes at, at turn three <laughs> like a few years ago and got penalized for it and it's for some reason i don't know why i don't know why max has felt the need to resort to some of his more aggressive dirtier tactics like holding up lewis hamilton deliberately in qualifying which my god how on earth did that never get investigated investigated and and then tactics like that against his own teammate when he has no need to be to feel like he's under that much pressure to, to 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 stay ahead like that I don't understand why he's felt the need to do that. Before adding my two cents on, on the sprint, turn three and turn four, let alone the exit of turn one, which we haven't discussed still, which I still think <laughs> is worth another. Well, go, 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 two. go. Well, what I'll add is just going back to quality. And, and I know I said before you'd need you know anyone with common sense to understand that. That was a bit mean. I'm sorry. But listeners out there, in case you didn't know what I was saying, was Max Verstappen has started a qualifying lap, and there's no proof that he wasn't going to go on a second quick sure, run. Sure, true. So Verstappen's gone on, though. and he's gone, oh, I'm doing my own lap time, and I'm in the way of Lewis Hamilton, but he's in my way. I'm trying to set a lap time too, even though, logically, he wasn't. you know Max Verstappen's on a slowdown. Exactly. Mm. He wasn't on a lap, and he knows that, but he played the rules perfectly in his favor. You can't prove, and F1's all about law, you can't prove that Max Verstappen wasn't on a lap, and I felt really bad for Lewis. Now, Going back to the incident with Perez, <laughs> turn three and turn four, 
Verstappen did a Rosberg 2016, whatever year it was with Lewis Hamilton. It was exactly the same. And Chris has mentioned, now, why does Verstappen need to do that? And there's a reason. I don't know, you know, for anyone who's competed in sport, you need to act dominant. And I don't know if it's like dog behavior, you know, when dogs have to show their dominance. Or like a cat, you have to make yourself look big. Yeah, you're going to make, exactly. You're going to do that kind of stuff, get your little whiskers Mm -hmm. out. It's the same thing. And, and Verstappen is basically showing a message to Perez as he shows to everybody else in the grid is you don't mess yeah. with me. I rule you. And he did that. With, he tried to do that with Lewis Hamilton. And Lewis Hamilton just kept on. This is 2021 I'm talking about. Just kept on taking the, the fight to him. He's the only driver to do it, Lewis Hamilton, to Verstappen. Yeah, and, and honestly, so I, was, I was a little disappointed 2020, 2021. That Hamilton, I, don't, I sort of disagree. I don't think he did take the, the fight to Verstappen. I think he kept letting him get away with it. There was loads of times he yielded. Oh, yeah. So anyway, that's a whole that's a different argument, Chris. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with you 100 percent on that. It's mm. like, but so so Perez put Max on the grass on the run up to yeah, and he said he, 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 he right okay, so he said he didn't see him, and I which gonna, you can uh, believe because the spray you can't see anything you, in the you, mirrors. You could believe it, but I, and I'm a Perez fan, but I'm <laughs> going to say I'm gonna Rob, I'm gonna say lie. I think that is a lie. Well, the thing is, so it's a good, it's a good lie. It's a really good, believable lie, yeah. right? Uh, but also, with the angle he was going into the first corner, he probably should have anticipated that uh, Max would come back at him on the exit of the corner. Uh, but then again, you know, he he doesn't have to assume that, and so that's probably why Max ended up locking the the rear brakes a little bit, or was a contributing um, factor to it. And probably in answering my own question now, actually, <laughs> why did he feel the need to get that aggressive with it? Because probably he feels, oh, you're going to play like that. Well, I'm going to yeah. show you how I play. Maybe uh, exactly. it could it could be that it could be that, Chris. OK, but the 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 one that got me. Yes, there was there was mm-hmm. they were both playing silly turnips, basically, in the beginning of the lap. Turn four people. I've seen people online. I've seen Red Bull sympathizers online saying, well, it was wet. And yes, that corner is naturally, it's downhill, it's understeery. And you look at the onboards and you go, he didn't try. So look, he, <laughs> he, Verstappen has previous of doing this. Like it's not, it wouldn't be the most outrageous thing in the world to say Verstappen just ran the other car off the turn, uh, you know, on entry. In Verstappen's defense, you don't have to take the apex. Like you are not obliged to take the apex. And if he had turned the wheel and then you see the car continuing forward, well, you go, well, he either locked up, which I don't think he did, or there was understeer because of the downhill or because a lack of grip from the front wheels because of rain. None of those things happened. He really took his time turning. He knew exactly what he was doing. He did the most Verstappen thing possible, yet people still want to defend it and go, no, he didn't. Yet... I still think that's a very valid move. You are allowed to do that. Listen to me, Max Verstappen fans. Listen to what I'm saying very carefully. You don't have to take the apex. You are not obliged as the inside car to take the apex. So take note, 2021, (laughs) Silverstone, Lewis Hamilton was not obliged to take the apex. Here, Max Verstappen was also not obliged to take the apex. You can run all the way to the exit straight as long as you're leaving your opponent room on the track. 
And and the difference was here, Spanners, is Perez backed out. Exactly. Yes, that's true. That's Max true. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've set up Max fans yeah. to contradict themselves, no, Spanners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you done? What have I done? It's We've clever. lost all the. But what have you done? But this is what I'm saying. I'm saying is that I I I think that a Verstappen did it on purpose, and that b it was okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm that's fine. Yeah. It's a legitimate move, but and- it's weird that he did it against Perez. And you know what he does when he goes to the stewards' room? Fernando Alonso media training school. Oh, I was trying to get the outside line because there's more grip there in the wet. You know, I didn't see Perez there <laughs> on the outside. You just play dumb. You know, yeah. that's what Alonso would do. And Verstappen would say the same thing, you know, the same way Perez did at turn one. Oh, you didn't see me there. I didn't see you at turn four. You know, that's the drivers <laughs> are funny. I, I actually love it. I, I honestly think there needs to be more blood. Bad blood cleanses the soul and we need more of it in Formula One. Uh, okay. Well, uh, uh, speaking of bad, I suppose we've got Haas, Chris. Haas seemed to have a little bit of a, a, a disaster. Uh, Hulkenberg, again, you know, just it, it feels yeah. like they have issues that other teams have ironed out. Well, I think it's part of their uh, car design or the car concept or a, a consequence of their design or concept. I'm sure it's not a desired trait of their yeah. car where it seems to be quite quick in the initial stages of the... Uh, of the race and then as it goes on it it fades away you know maybe it burns through the tires that certainly seemed to be what happened with the intermediate tires probably was a factor uh, in um in the uh in the in the grand prix as well i think their qualifying pace doesn't represent their race pace either so probably what ends up happening is they qualify you know much higher than they actually deserve to be uh, that that's going to be you know, they're not amongst the cars that are going to end up fighting in the race, and so then you you get into this snowball thing where you've been passed by a bunch of cars and you yeah. you you've backed them all up into a queue behind you as well, and you start falling into the clutches and and it wrecks your entire race. And Hulkenberg probably would have ended up falling out of the points at some point had his uh, had his car not decided to give up before he did. But the one thing we can say is that Hulkenberg definitely didn't violate the track limits as much as anyone else. So, well done to Nico. They, they still tried to get... They still... He still got his lap time deleted. Oh, no, you, like, you mean the, Nico Rosberg? He got he got given a warning. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nico Rosberg got given a warning. Uh, no, he got, oh, got given a warning for going off the track when he retired. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, and, can I say this? When Yuki Tsunoda went off the track at, on lap one, isn't that a track limits penalty as well? Even yeah, though massive one. Ground? But at that, and this is what my big thing about the stewards, at that point, they weren't monitoring track limits. That their, their really increasingly strict monitoring of track limits was as, as a response to all the complaints that, that were coming in. I think the last thing before we go to the podium, and uh, just keeping an eye on the time to check that we come in under an hour, is the Max Verstappen pit stop at the end. So he only has only a 24-second lead, Jono, and decides to go for a fastest lap pit stop for softs. I came up with a good theory for this, and I said, okay, how can we adjust Formula 1 once again, right? Normally, I really sit down and have a think about this, but I thought, you know what? Let me come up with a rule, throw it to the panel, and I'm going to find out if this is wrong, and I'm going to wing it here. Why not seal the deal on the fastest lap point 75% of the distance through? After that, you can't get it, right? Drivers still push. Everyone pushes in the final 25% of the race. They're trying to get positions anyway. People are pushing for the first three quarters to try and get the lap. And it doesn't force these silly pit stops where you're 45 minutes ahead and you get to pit 
and you can set the fastest lap. I'm throwing it out there. I'm not saying I'm correct, Chris. I can already see your disgust with that too, with, with my idea. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying that could work. Antonio fastest Lincoln. lap of the three quarters of the distance point. Well, why do we hand a point? It's like a circus. Why are we handing a point out for fastest lap in the first place? Well, I agree with you. I feel like it's a little un- unnecessary. But the fact is we have it and mm. it occasionally does spruce up the last lap or two of a Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It does. And and I think it's an important accolade to have because it does mean even if you're in 10th position, if you've got the fastest car on the track at some point, you do then get the get the one point. However, I do think it's an interesting idea, Jono, because with a driver like Verstappen, he's normally a good 25 seconds ahead by what, lap three? Mm. So in theory, he could be setting these lap times earlier on. I think in a way, the joy of having it towards the end of the race is there's a little bit more at stake with this pit stop. I think with this pit stop with Verstappen, the reason that it was so, you know, tense and like, why is he doing that? Because he could have got that whole race, had a horrible pit stop and completely screwed 70 laps worth of work. Whereas if you, I guess if you have that limit 75% in, if all of the drivers are suddenly like, okay, right, we're three quarters through, let's push for a fastest lap now, they've almost got time to correct it if it goes wrong. I think there's a, a nice little joy, I guess, in having the driver in first position risk everything for one single point. Oh my goodness. Though I have to, I have to admit, Chris, and I don't try to be like anti Verstappen very often. <laughs> I hide it well. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Uh, no, again, like Ferrari, you know, Verstappen is a very worthy foe. He is a good Darth Vader for my F1 Star Wars uh, story. Uh, so, yeah, when he contradicts his team and says, no, I do want to go for this point, I do want to go for fastest lap i was looking at the screen going oh there's so much that could go wrong maybe it will <laughs> it was yeah, quite exciting. Got it. it's a testament to that team isn't it really that they're so on the ball like that but you know the, the reason they do it at the end of the race is because of the fuel because that's when the car is at its lightest mm, that's true yeah. they they won't be setting fastest laps halfway through the race just because they've still got 50 kilos worth of fuel on board Quick pitch to anyone here who might object to this, but what if the world championship was decided by 10 laps to go and somebody goes, I'm going to pit and set the fastest lap. Has Verstappen done it? Oh my God, he's won the world championship because he set the fastest lap of the race. Is that enjoyable? Oh, good point. Yeah, we've never had that situation. That could come up. We probably never will. Isn't it? (laughs) Literally, the Formula E championship was decided that way one year when uh, Degrassi went into the back of Buemi and they had a fastest lap shootout. (laughs) I, and interesting fact, Chris, I was the closest human being to that crash. Oh, apart yeah. from Buemi and Degrassi. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we were supposed to be there. But yes, okay, anyway, an interesting uh, Austrian Grand Prix in many ways. If you could ignore the fact that they, we had all this silliness with the track limits, I think, you know, the, the track, again, provided a spectacle. So why don't we go on to our awards? <laughs> Before we get going with our awards, I want to encourage you to follow our young pups here at Missed Apex Podcast. All of these three panellists here have much more of a future in broadcasting, in social media, in presenting than the old people that you have become accustomed to since uh, 2016 here on Missed Apex Podcast. Go and follow Chris Stevens. Honestly, this is your biggest cred thing is that people will say, 
I followed Chris Stevens on Miss Apex podcast before he <laughs> dominated commentary. My boy, my lad, yeah. my lad, Chris, when you commentate like you did at the Miss Apex karting event, you bring an entire venue to life. You bring the joy oh. of motorsport to people listening. And, and now, like, look, listen, I get a cut of all your future earnings because I've let you be <laughs> terrible for years while you learn how to bring a race to life. But right now, you turn up at a racetrack, you commentate, you make that event 300% better. You are an incredible commentator. Thanks, man. And uh, yeah, it could be more of that on the horizon. Uh, so watch watch this space. Uh, see, the, see the journey unfolding on my social media feeds at Chris on Racing on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And just while I've got the mic live <laughs> for a second, I'm going to do another smooth plug for the Missed Apex socials at Missed Apex F1 on Twitter and TikTok. You should go and give it a follow. And hey, we know you're enjoying watching these live streams. We know you're enjoying that little five minutes of bonus content that you get on the uh, on the unedited on the live patron, stream on the Patreon well. stream, yeah, and and on the Patreon stream mm. as well, right? Just click that subscribe button and be a patron. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. But the thing I wanted to get across is if you are looking for a commentator for your corporate karting event or your corporate motorsport event, drag Chris in. He is uh, relatively yeah. cheap. That's the main thing. But he will bring <laughs> your he will bring your event to life, and I get a ten percent cut. Chris, we do awards here, and the first one is it's a good thing award. Yes. Christopher Abraham Stevens, what was your thing of the weekend? That's not my middle name. It might just be. In case anyone anyone was wondering, Christopher uh, Montgomery, Montgomery Stevens. <laughs> Uh, closer, uh, but uh, no cigar. Now, my thing of the weekend uh, is going to be probably controversial, uh, actually, because I think I think Anthony Davidson specifically said, oh, we can't give this guy driver of the day because of X, Y, and Z. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I'm going to give it to Carlos Sainz uh, because I feel like he was probably one of the drivers that just impressed me the most. Um, and I feel like he was held back uh, today and probably... The, the one that we didn't see the, the potential of the most through no fault uh, of his own, but still put in a, a pretty mega performance, I'd say. Mm. Okay, that's your thing of the weekend. Let's go over to Australia and Jonathan Simon. Jono, you are, you're, not, you're not the out and out mm. kind of right on the bottom rung of our youngest people. But again, you are showing <laughs> up all the old folk at Missed Apex podcast. You, you are out there. You're out there in all weathers reporting no, and they're in that no. safe studio and they're saying oh it's so lovely and warm here but let's go over to Jono and you're like I'm literally in a blizzard but instead of snow there's knives coming in from the east and and you're out there doing stuff <laughs> uh, but people uh, should follow you because you as well by the time you reach my age you are going to mm -hmm. be a superstar in broadcasting well, that, that's too nice. I'm humbled to hear that, Spanners. Obviously, you take inspiration from you and trumpets and all. Yeah, the, I'm all the best one. Not trumpet. Not trumpets. Not trumpets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, look, it's good fun. Uh, like Chris, if you're looking for a commentator, let me know. Probably down under because people won't fund to fly me down or to the Europe, internet. Or the US, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the internet, exactly. Um, so I'm always keen to do that. I love it. Uh, at Johnny S8, J O N N Y E S S 8. I'll tell you this, Spanners. 
It's been I, to the day I counted this. It's been a year and three quarters nice. since I first started trying to change my social handle. And me and a few friends, I actually made some phone calls today, and we couldn't come up with anything. Everything was taken because we need something consistent across all the socials. Yep. Somebody already stole my name, and I can't buy the Twitter account because it was made in like 2008, and I don't think they would respond. Don't, John, I'm not don't worry. We're just going to put a link know, in I'm the annoyed. show notes. We're going to put a link in the ah. show notes so people can just click it. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about your awful Twitter handle. But do tell us yes. what was your thing of the weekend. So my thing of the weekend was initially going to be the rain for the sprint race, which I, I really enjoyed, and it made the sprint race thoroughly enjoyable. Then it went into a sub good thing of the weekend, which is <laughs> bizarre idea. But what happens if it just starts raining one day and we go, you know what? Let's have Q1, Q2, Q3. And hey, everybody, by the way, you got 10 minutes. Get on the grid. We're having a quick on the sporadic sprint race. Everyone get ready. Hurry up. Go. Broadcast is live. It's on Twitter. You get notifications on your phone. You have to give up what you're doing. You're at work. You get sent home. You have to watch the sprint race in the wet. Bizarre idea. Probably never work, but that was my uh, good thing of the weekend. Rain that, for the sprints. Uh, that's up there with uh, our patron, Mike Stoner, who says that you should not tell the teams how long the race is going to be. So they just they get up on the grid, and then the FIA <laughs> just go, okay, it's going to be 30 laps. <laughs> it's going to be 200 laps. Go. Okay, good thing of the weekend there. And let's go over to, I think... Someone who is, uh, I can't really say going to be a star, Antonia Rankin, because you are just, you're doing everything and soon people are going to realise that you are doing everything. Antonia Rankin, you are inevitable. Am I like Thanos? I just need to That's kick my the fingers. That's the reference that I was going for. No, it's really good. Uh, people are starting to pick up on the fact that they hire Antonia Rankin and you make their event better. You're personable and you create like a space for people to feel included. And I'm incredibly jealous of the work that you have been doing and the work that you have lined up. So go and follow Antonia on TikTok at F1 Antonia on TikTok. Yes. And then search for Antonia J Rankin on Twitter. Twitter. There we go. Excellent. Antonia, who, who or what is your thing of the weekend? Oh, it's a difficult one. Um, like I said, it's not a representative track, so I'm hesitant to give it to McLaren, but I'm going to anyway. Um, I think Lando's drive, yeah, fantastic. It All could be either. Well, we don't know, do we? Like, is it like is it down to the upgrade, or was it was Lando doing well? In any case, long-suffering Lando fans and long-suffering McLaren fans can just go, yay, just for a little while, for a week. Yeah, I think the difference mm. between him and Piastri tips me off. I think 14 place difference. So Piastri didn't Piastri. have the upgrade, though. No, exactly, yeah. which mm. indicates that it is the upgrade. Therefore, mm. thing of the weekend to McLaren. There you um, go. Yeah, very ah, happy okay. for them. That's a, that's a good thing of the weekend. Okay, let's zoom, on, zoom in on the best panellist, uh, Spanners. All I want to say is there's a video <laughs> incoming. I hope you'll check it out. But in the meantime, we had the best experience at Q Leisure. Brighton Karting is the outdoor track in Brighton. If you're at a loose end, especially like during the week, go and do a few laps at Brighton Karting. They treat us so well. It is the best uh, race direction staff and the best kind of catering of any track we've gone to. You will have fun on there. It feels like an 800 meter roller coaster. It is an absolute attack on your senses. So go and check out our new best friend at Brighton Cart and Q Leisure. It's just south of Crawley and about 10 minutes north of Brighton. And if you've got this far and you have tolerated our waffling, why not consider being being a patron at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. And my thing of the weekend, it's 
going to go to... Well, it's got to go to Max Verstappen for taking that risk with that final pit stop. I don't think you can do that unless you have absolute faith in yourself and you have absolute faith in your team. The team was specifically telling him not to do it because it's too much of a risk. And he said, nah, my team's got this. Now we're going to do a more negative uh, award. It's this one. It's the... Missed Apex oh, Award. Oh, no, you missed the Apex. All right, here's where we get to be real armchair fans. Who wants to go first? Who's got a missed Apex? Chris Stevens, you got in there first. Who missed the Apex for you? I'm going to say the people who missed the Apex are the people who are amazed, stunned, bewildered by the fact that we've only got a final result five hours after the checkered <laughs> flag. I laugh at you in Formula E. <laughs> yeah, Formula E, love that. Exactly. I, God, I, I laugh at you in F1 Brazil 2003. And where the true winner was Giancarlo Fisichella. <laughs> now you go, oh, Kimi Raikkonen won originally. And then on countback, it was Fisichella. And then Raikkonen... Banners, we're, we're too young to remember. Don't remind us. I'm telling you. <laughs> all, everyone come and sit around the tree with young Uncle Spanners. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Raikkonen went and awarded the trophy to Fisichella. There you go. Okay, great. Well, Jono, who missed the apex for you? Uh, kind of a, it kind of could be spun into a good thing, but that jetpack guy before the race, I don't know if anyone was watching that. I don't know what happened to that that guy or if he's okay, but the, the jetpack just failed and died, Oof. and it just he just fell onto the track, and I actually felt pretty <laughs> I didn't bad see for that. him. Did they and just then, go, oh, well, never mind? <laughs> yeah, and then they just switched the shot to Oscar Piastri. He's like, all right, I guess I'm on the screen right now, and I don't know what I'm doing. And then I'm like wondering, is this like, is this a prank? Like, I was so confused watching that. And then all of a sudden, it goes back to the jetpack to do celebrating, and he's having the time of his life. So I kind of think that's bad thing of the weekend up until the celebration, because good on him for for being okay, but... Um, I think that's a bad thing of the weekend in a good way. Like, it was funny, mm-hmm. and I kind of enjoyed it, and I hope the guy's okay. Antonio Rankin, who missed the apex for you? I say this with so much love, and as such Uh-oh. a true racing fan, and I've grown up loving, loving Ferrari, but in the most respectful way possible. Ferrari, just in general. Horrible. Horrible. List, let How us it, list the reasons was- why. Just the fact that the drivers sound so exasperated. Mm -hmm. These talented drivers with so much potential are fed up. And that is just so beyond unacceptable. And I don't know how how something has not been done about the driver to pit wall communication. But for it all to be unraveling this publicly, unacceptable, horrendous, disheartening. Unbelievable. So you guys have left me. You've left me. We've got to this point, and I get to say that the stewards get the Missed Apex Award for having 1,200 unresolved instances of track limit violations to view after the fact. So absolutely, the reputation of F1 took a big hit today. It looked really, really silly. And it's because I believe that the stewards pretended they had a hard line on the track limits and they did once it was pointed out to them and they thought that they would carry on the spirit of the qualifying into the race but without actually monitoring the track limits and that is i'm going to give them the missed apex award but they do need resources so you need to be able to hire a derek and uh and uh, and a josephine to go right We've got two key corners here. We've got a camera pointed at it. 
this is your job. And Jono, what was the rate you said? You you take two hundred quid. Keen, I'm keen for some cash. Two hundred bucks for right, me. I'll, for, I'll for do it. I'll, I'll do it. it. I'll do it for one eighty and free entry. <laughs> so that's fine. I'll do it yeah. for one eighty. And you're just watching one camera and just going, yeah, car five gone, car six gone. I'll there do we it. go. There we go. So yeah, I'm afraid uh, that did not make F1 look good. I'm gonna add one more to it because Matt isn't here to defend him. Esteban Ocon with the thirty. <laughs> With the thirty seconds, thirty of, of seconds penalties. of penalties, and, as, um, and just being oh, sorry, generally Chris. not as good as Gasly this weekend, which, which as defined by uh, I, I know Chris Medlin put this out on Twitter. I thought it was initially four track cuts, five second penalty. Five means ten second penalty. Six means five second penalty. No, it resets completely. So I think he's cut the track another four times after that. Oh wow! And then a fifth. So I don't know if that's... I have to clarify how they do the penalties because that's a little bit weird because then once you get your 10-second penalty, what, you can just run off again for free? So I don't know if I, I've read that correctly, but yeah. Uh, sorry to hijack, Chris, but I agree. Yeah, Ocon did literally no, it, miss the apex. If it does fully reset and you get another three freebies, Warnings. that's very Formula that's 1, weird. Yeah, isn't it? that'll be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for joining us for our Austrian Grand Prix race review. Follow my panel, this young man here, Chris Stevens, this slightly slightly older young man, Jonathan Simon, and this pointlessly young person here, Antonio Rankin. And of course, follow me, Spanners. I'm the best one. Follow Mr. Apex at Mr. Apex F1. And until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. Comment of the week. I forgot that bumper was broken. But Antonia, I believe you are taking over the role of our kindly American by saying which one of our patron comments was the bestest. Yeah, now I know I look a lot like trumpets. So just you can just imagine it's him. It's very easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, honourable mention to everyone in the patron Slack group because I was wetting myself whilst trying to appear professional. Okay, consult your doctor if that persists. (laughs) so um yes credit to everyone who had me giggling (laughs) so our first contender is rob asher who said if ocon isn't careful he could end up with an esteban oh no that right i'm not a pun fan but that had me (laughs) i thought that was hilarious yeah not bad um honorable mention to wes who said antonia must be right about this she's right about everything else today Whoa, 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 whoa. You cannot influence comment of the week like that. We went through all of this with Matt. You can't pretend I said honourable mention. Honourable mention. We went through... It it was honourable. Matt used to actively... He'd push for this. He'd push for compliments and reward them with winning (laughs) spots on comment of the week. And I will not stand for it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm new to this. I apologise. I hope that my credibility as a journalist... You knew what you were doing. <laughs> and then finally, Mike Stoner, who said fastest lap should be renamed fastest max for obvious reasons. Oh, he's trouble that Mike. He can't win. <laughs> well, good thing that because our winner is <laughs> Rob Asher. If Ocon <laughs> isn't careful, he could end up with an Esteban. <laughs> it was pretty good. 
comment of the week. I really do need to replace that with my wife's vocal. Although, to be honest, I I think it's 50-50 which one's better. I'm I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting better as we do it. Thank you very much, Livestream, for joining us. We are going to disappear right now behind a flying helmet. Thank you for joining us. Good evening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.